0: I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. And good morning. It's January 30th, 2019, 10 o'clock AM, and this is episode 56 of Bitcoin E. So let's uh, get right back into the Bill Mollison book a little bit to uh, start us out. Um, if you visit, if you visited the show last time, um, I started reading Bill Mollison's Permaculture, a Designer's Manual. I've been waiting for this book for years, actually, to finally pull the trigger and and uh, get this thing. Um, <laughs> it's a large Large book that was first published in 1988, and essentially contains uh, quite a lot of uh, design principles for making permanent agriculture a possibility. Um, permanent agriculture is sort of designing the landscape and energy and water capture. Uh, the use of perennials instead of annuals uh, kind of not going with uh, monocultures like where you're farming you know nothing but you know a thousand acres of cotton or something like that and it it um, from a real from a very real sense it kind of precludes uh, industrial agriculture um, i'm not saying that it's not impossible uh but for the most part permaculture is practiced on much much smaller plots of land um from what i've seen you know 15 acres and under and usually it's 5 acres and under that is uh uh usually being done in permaculture and in mo- and actually actually in most cases it's it's smaller uh smaller acreages than that, uh, sub one acre, sub two acres, um, these types of things. And this one today, there's a, there's a couple of things. One of them uh, can relate directly to Bitcoin. Uh, this first one kind of doesn't, but for the meat eaters in the community, you'll, uh, you'll get a kick out of this. And what what this what what Bill is talking about is this I don't know I don't know if anybody's seen it I I have seen it on several occasions It's what it's something known as the trophic pyramid, and I'll describe it to you It, it it's been around for a long time, and um, it is the trophic pyramid is a is a diagram that is essentially used by vegans and vegetarians to tell people. Uh, how bad and terrible of a person they are for eating meat because the bottom, the very bottom of the pyramid, the base of the pyramid of which everything is built on, um, the pyramid here in the diagram is divided into five sections. Um, as the each section uh, that builds on top of the section below it, clearly it gets smaller and smaller and smaller because that's the way a pyramid works. Uh, But at the very bottom is basically grass and, you know, vegetation, um, uh, things that grow in the soil. And in in this particular, uh, well, in in the trophic pyramid, the very bottom of the uh, pyramid suggests that for for every 10,000 kilograms of vegetable matter, that's what it takes to grow. 1,000 kilograms of grasshoppers, which is the next level up, insecta, right? So the in, the insects come next in the trophic period. And troph means eat, right? Uh, like a heterotroph means you eat like different things. Monotroph would mean that you only eat one particular thing, Um uh, Liz, heliotrophic is something that ingests sunlight. Plants are heliotrophic, essentially, in, insofar as that's how they get the majority of or build the majority of their carbon skeletons. So troph basically means eat, T-R-O-P-H uh, for the spelling. Anyway, so back to it. 10,000 kilograms of vegetable matter is necessary to support uh, the production of 1,000 kilograms of uh, insects. And that is necessary uh, in the next trophic level to support 100 kilograms of frogs. Coin Yeezy, I'm looking at you. And it takes 100 kilogram of frog to support 10 kilogram of fishes, which is the next level up. And the last level in the pyramid is a, the human being that relies on ten kilograms of fish for every kilogram of weight in the in the human. <clears throat> okay, so um, in on the side of the pyramid, um, it, it many times it's drawn with a arrow that goes directly from the very bottom to the very top. Suggesting that for every kilogram of human weight, it only takes 1,000 kilograms of vegetable matter. Okay, so Bill, uh, as much as the fact that that Bill Mollison was a guy who likes plants, eats plants, thinks plants are necessary, and I don't disagree. Bill has this to say about, about the trophic pyramid. As our one-way pyramid is very suspect, so is the argument that we should become vegetarians to ameliorate the world food shortage problem. Only in home gardens is most of the vegetation edible for people. Much of the earth is occupied by inedible vegetation. Deer, rabbits, sheeps, and herbivorous fish are very useful to us in that they convert this otherwise unusable herbage to acceptable human food. Animals represent a valid method of storing inedible vegetation as food. If we convert all vegetation to edible species, we assume a human priority that is unsustainable and must destroy other plants and animals to do so. So Bill's basically calling BS on the trophic pyramid. So do I. It has it is a one-way pyramid. It doesn't talk about like if it takes a thousand kilograms of of insects to feed a hundred kilograms of frogs it doesn't say anything at all about the frog waste going back into the system and then resupporting more vegetation, which would support more insects, which would then support the future of that particular frog. Um, and uh, Bill actually talks about that. He says, yeah, it, it may, uh, it may take a hundred kilograms of frogs to support 10 kilograms of fish, but over the course of a year, 10 kilograms of fish or that, that uh, year at one point or another, if that if that fish eats 10 kilograms of frogs and it's not going to eat, it's going to eat a lot more than 10 kilogram or 100 uh, kilograms of frog in a year, right? Um, it's going to crap out 99% of that on a day over day basis on the annum, which essentially means that 99.9 or 99%, let's say, let's just actually, let's say 90% of all the stuff that this frog consumes goes back into the soil as waste which then resupports everything to be able to grow yet more vegetation which will grow more insects insects which will grow more frogs which will then continue to support the fish that's never talked about in the trophic period uh, pyramid so um and what I, what I really do like, and in fact, I was uh, at the beginning of this, I said that the first part that I was going to read in this book didn't really um, relate back to Bitcoin, but in a way it does, and it relates back to store of value, where he says um, animals represent a valid method of storing inedible vegetation as food. Okay, in, in essence, he's talking about a store of value. And, um, that ends up being, <laughs> that ends up being a, a, a fairly lengthy argument that we have in Bitcoin at is, uh, is Bitcoin a store of value? Is it a medium a method of exchange? Is it a medium of exchange? Um, all, all we, we always get into all this. And like I said, it's, I think it's, I think it's a value, Every once in a while to step back and look at other systems uh, to get sort of a uh, comparison and, and contrast of, of the same types of concepts and look at it differently. And this is certainly a different way to look at at store of value where we're looking at animals as a way to take things that are inedible for humans. like um, Like you're never going to go browse the leaves off of a peach tree, but a deer will. And they'll be able to store that as fat and protein in their body. And then you, after you harvest that animal, will be able to take part of that, which you certainly wouldn't have eaten in the first place because you wouldn't have been able to digest, you know, peach leaves. So with that said, let's move on to the last part that does basically directly relate to something I want uh, something that we talk about in Bitcoin all the time, and that's principle of stability. <clears throat> Peppered throughout this book are a series of principles that go into the design considerations of uh, permaculture and uh, permanent agriculture design. So, th- the principle of stability. Uh, states it is not the number of diverse things in a design that leads to stability. It is the number of beneficial connections between these components. Now for people that have been in the space for a while, I'm hoping that that would be readily evident that we're going to be talking about shit coinery. Um, One of the arguments that's going on right now is Ugh, and has been for a long time, is whether or not any of the altcoins actually have any real value. Oh, God, you know, I don't know. Most of them are garbage. Uh, and I think a lot of people will come to that conclusion. And I think a lot of people actually already have come to that conclusion. 99% of all the stuff that's in the crypto space is worthless garbage that is here for one purpose, and that is to separate you from your money. That's it. That's all. Well, that and to make other people rich by separating you from your money. Uh, don't Don't buy shit coins. I am sorry, but don't do it. Okay? Don't do it. Now, that said, I cannot deny the argument that a couple of people have made insofar as suggesting that, if we just have Bitcoin and we have no other cryptocurrencies, um, because of Bitcoin maximalism, maybe crushing—I don't know—all the ideology. I don't—I don't think Bitcoin maximalism quite has that power. Uh, but be that as it may, let's say let's for a moment pretend that Bitcoin maximalists. Uh, uh, constituted a massive assault on shit coinery and uh, was successful in the complete destruction of all shit coins on the face of the planet. We would be left with a monoculture of uh, Bitcoin and monocultures in nature are not good. And in nature, monocultures generally are talking about organisms, whether plants, animals, you know, what, what have you without diversity, different kinds of grasses, different kinds of plants that act as grays for different kinds of animals that secrete or, or excrete different kinds of waste with different or diverse amounts of mineral components because they're unable to digest some and excrete others or whatnot. And that the diversity is what keeps all this up. And there's nothing about that that's not true in nature. Now, the argument does, you know, I cannot deny the fact that that argument, uh, it does work in Bitcoin. If you had nothing but Bitcoin, we may find ourselves in a situation where we really don't want that. And I'm not sure. And, And my maximalist, you know, people that I talk to that are, you know, hardcore maximalists may listen to this and just cringe. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like a hear me out kind of thing, because that's one of the good things about looking at different models that have nothing to do with the model that you're actually interested in and see if you can find another way to look at things. And in permaculture, it's, we really, I mean, it's not good to have monocultures. One of the things that a monoculture will do uh, for you, like, let's say I'm cropping uh, a section, you know, full sections, which is 600 and 640 acres of cotton. All right. And now let's say it's not BT cotton uh, or any kind of GMO, just like straight up some kind of like, you know, seed that, you know, I had sacks of like from 50 years ago and it's somehow or another still good. And and for whatever reason, I planted it. Um, Without any kind of uh, internal genetically modified defenses against, worms and, and other kind of pests, I have basically planted a flag that stinks into the ground. And that stench attracts that which eats that, which creates the stench. And what do I mean by that? Plants emit hormones. And the more of the same species of plant you have in the same area adds to the amount of hormone that is in the air. Um, and the larger the, um, or the more and more and more of the same kind of thing, the same species of plant that you have growing in close quarters, like a field of wheat, a field of cotton, a field of X, you know, pick whatever X, um, th- the amount of hormones that it shoves, that it throws out into the air will do nothing but contact the exact pest that wants to eat that plant because those pests are sniffing the air for any kind of chemical signal that they can that suggests that there's food. And when you got 640 acres of X, you've got a massive, a massive flag planted right in the ground that says, come eat me. What do we do? Dump chemicals on it to kill all the pests. We're not looking at it from the standpoint of diversity. And in a very real way, and again, I'm sorry for all my maximalist friends. I think all this is I think all these coins are crap. I really do. But one thing that they that they have been doing and will continue to do is take the pest pressure off of Bitcoin because they will present themselves as sacrificial shields for Bitcoin, and the pest will eat them first. And who are the pests? SEC, IRS, uh, the FEC, I mean, any, any governmental body from any country that seeks to destroy what we're trying to build, they are first going to go for the low-hanging fruit. And that low-hanging fruit is going to be stuff like Litecoin, uh, maybe not. Maybe not as much Litecoin coin, uh, because Charlie did. Charlie Lee, the creator of Litecoin, did leave, but that uh, still presents problems. But stuff like ETH, you know, Ether or Ethereum or whatever you want to call that that thing, um, you know, Monero, Zcash, whatever, whatever. There's gonna. It, it surrounds Bitcoin's always at the center of this thing. And if anybody's going to get picked apart, it's going to be the coins that have offices, that have a CEO, that have somebody who can answer for the crimes of whatever it is that the SEC thinks Zcash did. I don't know. And, I, and, I, and, and in a very real way, I really don't care. As long as these guys, <coughs> excuse me, as long as these guys continue to put themselves in harm's way to protect bitcoin which is what they do whether or not they know that they're doing it or not. Um I'm fine with them. I really I'm I'm fine. It's like a, you know, a blade of armor. So I don't mind shedding these guys and shedding their technology when they get taken down as uh as first targets because in the end it's going to make the enemies energy expenditure coming after Bitcoin less and less and less and less and it's also going to give Bitcoin more time to be able to do all the things that that ends up being necessary for it to do to survive into the future. So uh, I want to thank Bill Mollison for writing this this not only did he write the book, he him and a guy named David Holmgren actually are the two people that came up with the concepts of permaculture. And it's been going strong since I think they wrote their first permaculture stuff in the very in the late seventies. So, you know, here we are all the way into damn near, you know, 2020 and permaculture is uh still going strong. It's been developed and redeveloped and um, is starting to gain some traction and I'm really glad to glad to see that. But so just so you know, Bill Mollison isn't only the guy that wrote this particular book, he's he's one of the two people that actually invented the design, uh the the way to look at uh natural systems and, and look at them in a in a completely different way that is more holistic than it is breaking it up into its separate parts. Anyway, so uh, with that, let's get into the morning roundup. All right, the morning roundup. Uh, I got three stories here that I want to talk about and uh the first one is the fact that the crypto the cryptopia hack is still going on now this is kind of a, this is kind of new when you think about hacks in the computer or in the computer science world think about hacks generally speaking the hack occurs and then it's over it's like a a snap in time right not this one this one's been going on for a while, so let's get into it. Um, this is a, a, a short excerpt uh, that was written by theblockcrypto.com. If you're not following the Block Crypto, let me give you their tweet uh, Twitter. It's at theblock underscore underscore. That's right, two underscores. So the uh, Block Crypto, or the Block, which is doing some really, really, really good work. Um, has written this uh, small, uh, small excerpt, kind of like re- kind of reviewing uh, what happened and what's going on here, and it says, "Cryptopia hacker who pulled off a sixteen million dollar heist still going. <laughs> Cryptopia has still not located its security gap." As the hacker who stole 16 million in Ethereum earlier this month has taken another 1,675 ETH worth about $180,000 US from 17,000 Cryptopia wallets since, blockchain analysis firm uh, Elementus reports. Some of the wallets have been previously identified as at risk or had already been emptied in the original hack. The owners, however, have continued to send funds to them even after the second breach. The funds most likely came from mining pools. While initially it was believed Cryptopia might have made the necessary moves to secure the platform, the stolen funds have since been moved to one of the wallets used in the first hack... (laughs) It is suggested that the hacker, not the exchange, still possesses the control of Cryptopia's Ethereum wallets and the breaches may continue in the future. All right. So that sort of brings us up to date. Yeah, the Cryptopia hack. And I I think they're out of New Zealand or either New Zealand or or Australia. Pretty sure it's New Zealand. Um, Yeah, they're how do you not fix your stuff? When you're, when you're hacked, I don't, I don't know, man, I don't get it. Whatever. Don't care. Cryptopia is still getting hacked. They simply just refuse to patch up whatever their issue that started that allowed the first hack. So um, this probably should win some kind of Darwin computer science and security operational security award. I don't know. Any, anyway. If there was such a thing, I think Cryptopia would pretty much win the thing hands down. (coughs) All right. Second up is also from the Block Crypto. Genesis Capital has originated over $1 billion in crypto loans, even as the bear market reigns. Genesis Global Trading, a market-making trading firm in New York, announced Wednesday that it has originated more than $500 million worth of loans and digital assets to its institutional clients in the fourth quarter of 2018, pushing their cumulative origination or origination volumes to over $1 billion over the last 10 months. The firm, formerly known as Second Market, launched as a crypto trading firm in 2015, The company, in March 2018, launched its crypto lending business, Genesis Capital, which has quickly become popular among its trading clients, looking to borrow digital assets as a way to hedge their investments or short a crypto. Currently, the firm manages a book of over $153 million in loans. The firm recently launched launched Lending in Fiat, which makes up a tiny fraction of the total loans originated. November and December were the most attra- active months to date as we saw new hedge funds and trading firms utilizing spot borrow, the firm said in its digital asset, a lending snapshot. This growth combined with new business lines, e.g. lending cash for crypto collateral, has driven our loan book to $153 million in active loans outstanding Up 23 million from quarter three, despite a 44 percent price decline in Bitcoin. Ether shorting, oh sorry, ether shorting has driven some of the growth in the firm's lending business, but traders have large have been largely unsuccessful. As noted by the report, ether borrowing more than doubled since Q3 as borrowers look to short the coin. But data shows many traders were unable to time the market. Opening larger positions after selling momentum had already kicked in. Yeah, be careful out there, people. Uh, timing timing these markets is, is bad enough for pros. If you're an amateur, you're going to get your lunch money taken from you. Meanwhile, traders found more success outside short ETH momentum strategies. Genesis said in the report that an increase in volatility and the ability to engage in both spot and future markets – allowed traders to successfully run basis trade arbitrage on BTC, leading to increased borrowing from the underlying. (coughs) Moving forward, the firm is looking to further integrate its two businesses to make it easier for its clients to trade. Already, the firm removed a step it's hedge fund clients that allow them to now settle directly between Genesis capital and Genesis trading that shaved an hour or so off the process. CEO, Michael Morrow told the block previously borrows borrowers would have to take delivery of the borrowed coins and then turn around and settle it with Genesis. Next Morrow said the firm plans to integrate the two companies into one user interface to that end, the company is hiring out developers Even as the crypto bear market reigns, it has been a lucrative time to run a borrowing business in the market. As reported by Bloomberg, BlockFi, another lending firm, has seen its revenues and customer base grow tenfold since June, riding the bullish wave. A diverse set of investors have picked up on the New York-based firm's success. The firm has raised nearly $60 million to date, a mixture of lending and equity capital with a roster of investors that includes the likes of Fidelity, Susquehanna, and others. Salt Lending, another lender, has been hiring at a fast clip, Bloomberg noted. Quote, momentum trading, expedited short settlement, basis trading, and cash lending will all be key drivers of lending growth in 2019, and we're excited to see the market we pioneered continue to mature, the report concluded. Morrow said there could be more upside for the firm given it has done little marketing around the product, adding most of the loans we've originated are from legacy Genesis counterparties. Everything else has really been through word of mouth. So there you go. Even though uh, Bitcoin has been been in the tank for a while, this stuff just marches on. Um, I just... Yeah, we're going to get into a couple of idiot, uh, idiot statements in the daily train wrecked, but all these people that keep talking about how this stuff is dying just because of the price, you know, they don't they don't look at the whole ecosystem. They they're not really examining what kind of different organisms are are uh, starting to be cropped in 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 this in this whole world. Uh, it's real interesting. Anyway, so that's going to do it for that. And we're going to get into the very last thing of the day, which is going to be from Bitcoin Magazine. And it is fastbitcoins.com enables cash for Bitcoin exchange via the Lightning Network. And this is written by Kyle Torpy, one of my favorite dudes in the space. So let's uh, let's burrow, burrow into it. Many are predicting that 2019 will be the year Bitcoin's Lightning Network sees massive growth and becomes a more common way to make Bitcoin payments. And a new company based in England's East Midlands hopes to help with that process. Today, FastBitcoins.com has announced the launch of its cash-based Bitcoin exchange, which includes Lightning Network integration. With this new exchange, users will be able to to avoid touching the blockchain when they decide to buy or sell Bitcoin for cash. The new exchange was founded by former NEO&B managing director Danny Brewster, who says he is on a mission to restore his credibility after his last venture infamously failed in spectacular fashion. Brewster is also behind AA Global, a company that provides store operators with digital kiosks that can be used by customers to purchase anything from prepaid cell phone minutes to Xbox Live subscriptions. The plan is to add FastBitcoins.com as one of the 5,000 voucher options on these hardware terminals. Quote, we take away the current pain points blocking normal people buying Bitcoin. There is no complex process involved signing up to a Bitcoin exchange or network and having to convert your money, says Brewster. Quote continues, customers can now just walk into a fastbitcoins.com partner shop and buy Bitcoin with the same ease and speed as buying a prepaid telephone, cell phone credit, top up voucher. End quote. The fastbitcoins.com terminal was a originally debuted in december of 2018 when a reporter bought 10 pounds worth uh, a reporter bought 10 pounds worth of bitcoin from a touchscreen in the back of a london taxi in addition to the terminals fast bitcoins also.com also plans to sell physical bitcoin gift cards integrate with existing bitcoin wallets and build a fastbitcoins.com mobile app quote we are also building relationships with other distributors for integrating with our FastBitcoins.com systems to enable the sale of vouchers through their existing hardware-added Brewster. FastBitcoins.com also has a partnership with crypto payment platform BitRefill, which means any of the gift cards and other services sold via BitRefill will also be available for sale via the FastBitcoins.com terminal. Additionally, FastBitcoins.com voucher codes can be purchased via BitRefill. Earlier this month, BitRefill also stepped into the Lightning space when it launched Thor, a service that allows customers to open Lightning channels on demand. FastBitcoins.com's fees start at 6% to buy Bitcoin and 3% to sell for unregistered users. Fees become lower if the user is willing to register an account or verify their personal information. In terms of buy and sell limits, Brewster stated, you must be registered to sell to us, and the limit depends on the retail locations near the user and their limits for paying out cash. The buying limits depend upon jurisdiction, but you can buy up to 250 pounds worth of Bitcoin in the UK per voucher without an account. However, we do have monitoring in place to ensure the structuring of transactions isn't occurring. Currently, FastBitcoin.com's products or products and services are available at locations in the UK, but the company plans to have some locations set up in Canada before March as well. Locations set up in the UK right now include convenience stores, money transfer agents, a tattoo parlor, and the aforementioned London Black Cab. And that'll do it for that uh, Bitcoin Magazine article. Uh, thanks, Kyle. Uh, good work, as always. So, yeah, yeah. Um, this seems a little bit like Azteco uh, for any of you guys that are following Beauty On on Twitter. Uh, I think it's, yeah, at BeautyOn, uh, just like it sounds. And then I think it's one underscore after that. Uh, he has started a couple of years back company called Azteco. Uh, A-Z-T-E-C-O. Uh, actually, it's dot C-O. And uh, you, you can buy... You have to be in the UK, I believe. I I do not think that they are outside of that jurisdiction. Um, But you can buy uh, vouchers from Azteco and then redeem those vouchers directly into your Bitcoin wallet. So essentially you pay for a slip of paper that looks like a receipt. And then that receipt is essentially sort of like a Bitcoin wallet, which means you don't want to give it, you know, let anybody else see it until you redeem it. But once that voucher is redeemed, that wallet is, 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 you know, emptied and, and just kind of goes away. Uh, and it's an interesting way of being able to get uh, the, get Bitcoin in the hands of somebody that doesn't want to do KYC or AML or, or have a, an account with somebody or, or get online. I mean, it's, um, it, it's, it's pretty slick. So if, if you, if you haven't visited beauty On's, uh Twitter channel, I highly recommend it. Uh, he's a, he's a pretty cool cat, uh, as well. So if you don't have a chance to, uh, um, well, if you have the chance and you have the time, make sure you visit Beautyon and look up Azteco. It's pretty cool. So let's see what's next up. Oh yeah. We're going to do vital statistics again. <laughs> hey, yay. Today's a better day to do it. So far, so good. We're up today. Um, uh, one and a half points on Bitcoin price. It's sitting at 3441 on Bitstamp. And let's get right into the uh, vital statistics here. Uh, let's see. The high, the average price is 3481 Looks like the high is going to be Bitfinex at... Mm, so I'm using BitInfoCharts.com. Uh, They're saying Bitfinex has the price at three thousand five hundred thirty-one. Let me go ahead and just, yep. They're still saying I refreshed three thousand five hundred thirty-one. It appears that the low is going to be Gdax at three thousand four hundred forty. <coughs> uh, there has been three hundred twenty-two thousand transactions in the last twenty-four hours. Thirteen thousand five hundred transactions average per hour. Eighteen hundred. Oh, I'm. Whoa. I am so very sorry. One point eight million Bitcoin have been sent over the last twenty four hours, with an average per hour of seventy seven point two thousand. Average transaction value is five point seven six BTC, and the median transaction is getting back up a little bit to zero point zero three three BTC or one hundred and thirteen dollars. USD block time is pegged right where it should be at 10 minutes, zero second, uh, blocks in the last 24 hours is 142, six, six blocks per hour. The reward per block looks like it's getting 0.14 BTC in fees with the total reward of the, over the last 24 hours of 20,000. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, 20,000, uh, to 20.32 BTC. Hash rate is wow has uh grown 8.57% in the last 24 hours and is still right around the 43.8 exahashes. Last GitHub commit was as you as you would imagine today. Uh, <laughs> wow, yeah, today. So across the board Ethereum is averaging out at 109 Bcash is 117. Litecoin is $31. Uh BSV, which is the Bitcoin, Satoshi's Vision, just whatever. <coughs> it and Bcash. I swear these two coins are just garbage. Uh it looks like its average is 6731. Ethereum Classic is at four. Dogecoin is at 0.0019 and doge has a uh, 28,000 transactions over the last 24 hours which as usual destroys bsv's 3,000 or 3,800 and bcash's 9,400 transactions over the same time period so dogecoin is killing you guys dogecoin the joke coin that was made by somebody who didn't like bitcoin Remember that? And he left, and Dogecoin still goes on because everybody loves it. Yeah, they love it. To the tune of almost 30,000 transactions per day, as opposed to your almost 10,000 Bcash and your almost 4,000 BSV. Sorry. It's just, it's sad to watch these people take money from P, from other people to line their own pockets. Both of those coins are scams. And if you are actively buying into either one of those, my heart goes out to you, but Darwin Awards uh, are going to be awarded at the end of the year. So that's going to be your vital statistics for the day. Marty's Bent. Uh, This is going to be for uh, yesterday, Tuesday, January the 29th, 2019. Issue number 408. Actually pretty messed up. Justin Moon on Twitter writes, I have just been told you can spend four years studying economics at Harvard and never read Mises or Rothbard. What a joke. To which... Crypto Ayan replies, I studied economics at a university in the UK and at college before then for my A-levels, in total of six years of study, I did not hear about Austrian economics even once. Came across it actually only about 13 months ago by following Safedine on Twitter. And I'm glad I did. So Marty has what Marty has to say about this, piggybacking on yesterday's issue, I thought it would be a good idea to bring this fact to light. As someone who is subjected to four years of economic indoctrination here in the U.S., I can confirm that one can spend the entirety of their university career focused on the subject and never once be introduced to Austrian concepts, even in an attempt to disparage them. Instead, you are forced to view the world through the lens of neo-Keynesianism, never being expected to question mainstream beliefs or the ever-changing landscape of, of modern monetary theory wrought with moving goalposts, lofty theory, and hedonistic adjustments, which, combined, lead us to a world disconnected from reality. This makes sense, though. When you think about it, the concepts of sound monetary economics and Uh, conservatism that the Austrian school champions are completely an anathema to the university system and the easy monetary system that enables it. The irony of learning that inflation is subdued around 2% due to active monetary policy and the actions of the Fed while sitting in a classroom That price has increased 500% in 30 years. Just hit me so hard that I honestly feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Fucking hilarious when you think about it. You pay tens of thousands of dollars on tuition to then spend thousands of dollars on books that teach you to believe this type of price inflation is normal and healthy. Any of you college freaks out there reading this, don't buy the books. Biggest waste of money in the world. All the while, you aren't taught about the whole spectrum of the subject. You are being extorted by, sorry, you aren't taught about the whole spectrum of the subject. You are being extorted to master. A very convoluted system, if you ask Uncle Marty. All right, second up, incentives matter. Starts with a Matt Odell tweet. Schnorr should make coinjoin transactions cheaper than regular Bitcoin transactions. Let that sink in for a moment. Sending a transparent transaction will be more expensive than sending an obfuscated one. Oh, that's my kind of incentive. And Marty just says, "Honestly, <clears throat> sneaky one sneaky one of the best things that could happen for the future prospects of Bitcoin's improved fungibility." make it cheaper to transact using coin joins, human greed for the win. Final thought, the college textbook racket is one of the most egregiously evil things in the world at the moment. Big quote, don't buy the books quote guy. The advice, no nice, I give it twice. Yeah, well, he's actually right. Um, So both of those are good points. Um, I, I am going to spend a little time extending what he talks about with uh, college textbooks. When I was at college, you know, textbooks were, they were expensive, but oh my God, nothing like they are now. I walk into a college text, like a, a bookstore, like on a college campus where they're like at the beginning of like the fall or spring semester. And oh my God. I'm, I'm looking at $250 textbooks and it just seems normal. i am watching, you know, watching kids and I, because I used to work on, I used to work at Texas Tech University at the library right across the way from uh, the bookstore, which was a, a Barnes and Noble bookstore. When I was going to school there, it was, uh, the bookstore was owned by the actual university. Now they've, Kind of subbed it out to to Barnes and Noble, along with having a Starbucks coffee kiosk. But none of that matters. What really matters is that now I'm, I have watched for the last nine years working at Tech because I would go into the to the bookstore, every, you know, every once in a while, either to go into another part of the building because uh, that's where all the food court was right, was in that building, and where I happened to be in the library, it was actually easier to walk through the bookstore, I'd be watching students not even blink, carrying out stacks of books that I know cost at least a grand, not even blinking. Okay, Uh, so what, you know, what's being said here about the uh, college textbook racket is true. There, A, there's no reason these textbooks need to cost this much money. B, that shit's never going to change. So one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to get used to it or you're going to figure out ways around it. Here's one of the best ways around it. If you're going to school and you're sick of buying the textbook, uh, especially at the end of the class when you realize that you've read maybe four chapters of it and only half of the chapter of each chapter at that, then try this. When you get your syllabus for the next class that you take, if you're going to college, go to your university or college's library and see if that textbook is in one of two places in the library. One, just look for it in the, in the uh, library catalog like you normally would. If it's not there, Go find a librarian uh, at the service desk. It may be called the circulation desk. It may be called, I don't know what else it would be called. Uh, Circulation desk is kind of normal. Go ask and find out if that book is on reserve. Okay, that's the key word. Find out if the book is on reserve. Some professors will put books on reserve because they know, they know. Not everybody's going to be able to get the book, either because they can't afford it or maybe in some cases the publisher doesn't print enough. It's, it's happened where you get assigned a book that you cannot buy. So anyway, um, go check your library. Check the book out. Look to see if they have what's called a kick scanner or some kind of way that you can scan the book. Copyright be damned. If you don't want to go to jail or you don't want to risk anything, then don't email a copy of the book to your friend or, or put it online or do something like that. Otherwise, do whatever the hell you want with it. Um, just go to the library and see if you can just check the book out first and then scan it into a PDF and so you can keep it. Um, that really helps. And like I said, Lots and lots of professors put their text, the textbooks that they require, will have a copy of that stuff at the library on reserve. With that, that's going to do it for Marty's bent, and we will uh, we'll read another one one of these days. Uh, daily train wrecked is brought to you by Jonathan G Harris at j g Harris seven uh, I don't I I kind of don't even know where to start with this one because there's just all manner of stupid through through what we're going to talk about today on the daily train wrecked uh it all started with a tweet from Barry Silbert um and I'll just go ahead and read Barry's tweet the twenty twenty u s. presidential campaign process is going to provide a huge awareness boost for privacy focused digital stores of value that can't be confiscated or taxed. Okay. so let's just let's dive into the one the the tweet that I saw for the first time from this gentleman that got me and that just it just screamed to me daily train wrecked. In case you missed the news, The feds did seize not only Ross's Bitcoins, but the Bitcoins FBI agents stole from him. So much for the claim Bitcoin can't be taxed or confiscated. Somebody, kill me now, please. Just kill me now. Okay, let's let's back up to uh, Jonathan G. Harris, who, by the way, holds a PhD in chemistry and has financial engineer in his Twitter bio. Keep that in mind. The man states he's a financial engineer with a doctorate-level education in chemistry. So his first tweet right after Barry Silbert was just untrue. One, Bitcoin is closer to a pyramid scheme than a store of value. Two, what happened to Ross Ulbricht's Bitcoin disproves the rest of the crypto lies. And that's when he launches into the rest of his just general stupidity. Uh, Well, there's a couple of other things that he says that I want to get to. Um, The whole thing about... Uh, his statement about Ross and, and what happened to Ross getting, let's see, what did he say? In case you missed the news, the feds did seize not only Ross's Bitcoins, but the Bitcoins FBI agents stole from him so much for the claim. Bitcoin can't be taxed or confiscated. All right. So clearly I have, I had to reply. I mean, I who can let this one go? Right. All right. So what I write back is, is pretty simple. Ross left his laptop open and it was running his wallet when the feds raided him. So they had access to the Bitcoin. That was bad OPSEC on his part. The agents had no idea how to hold Bitcoin and the FBI's OPSEC is terrible in general. No one can get my Bitcoin yours. And I was—I just said yours with a question mark because I was running out of characters. Essentially, it's like nobody can get mine. Can they get yours? And... Because this is, this is a, uh, this is, God, a mistake. So many people that think they're going to be the one to take down the the arguments of, you know, the arguments for Bitcoin because reasons, uh, they make this mistake a lot. That, yes, they can be confiscated. Yes, they can be taxed. No, they can't. In, in. In the issue of Ross, like I said, Ross happened to be running his laptop. He happened to be logged in and his wallet was open and running because he was doing stuff for Silk Road, right? That's when he was popped, the the federal agents had full access to not only his laptop, but also to the wallet that he was running because they didn't close it down. That's how they confiscated his, his, his shit. If nobody... As long as the walls of my house and the doors of my house are closed and solid, nobody can get into my house. If they breach a door, then yes, they can get into my house and confiscate my shit. But as long as those doors and walls are closed and windows are not broken, then what's in my house is mine. All right, so if I have... You know, my Bitcoin on a laptop, that's terrible OPSEC. I know people have to do it because that's the way they're they're doing X, Y, or Z that kind of requires them to have it on a laptop. Hopefully their OPSEC suggests to them that they only keep the amount of Bitcoin on there that they absolutely necessarily have to have to do X, Y, or Z. All right. That they're not that they don't have their whole stack of coins open to the world in case they get popped for doing something illegal. Like, well, I'm not even going to get into whether or not what Ross was doing was illegal. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, uh, he was operating a website. He himself wasn't so was not selling drugs. The fact that somebody else was selling drugs on a system that he created does not make him liable. I know that there's going to be people out there that will tell me 18 different ways of how I'm wrong, but I don't give a shit. Ethically, it's the person's fault. If they wanted to engage in drug trafficking, then that was that person's fault. Because I create X and somebody takes X and use it for reason Y that I didn't think about, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to take responsibility for that. I'm not. And neither should Ross. He should not be spending two life sentences plus 40 years, which he'll never get out of prison unless unless he unless he gets appealed. He's never ever going to – he will die in prison. The man is in his 20s, and he's already been in for like six years. So, okay, well, enough of that. Uh, the rest of the stupidity, sorry, but um, – The guy comes back, Jonathan G. Harris, Ph.D. chemistry and and financial engineer, comes back from what I'm saying and says, it doesn't really matter. They got it proving the poster wrong. Plenty of cases of stole Bitcoin as proof it can be seized. My God, Ph.D.'s, are they really just this terrible of authors? whatever even if you can stop them from seizing it it won't do you any good while you rot in jail and they confiscate every piece of electronics you have okay i'm coming back to that right i mean i've got to write a tweet directly back to that and i do of course yes it does really matter context is everything It should not escape your attention that I do not need an electronic device to store my Bitcoin. I can memorize a 24-word seed phrase and walk 20 million USD across any border in the world and reconstitute it on the other side. To which the good doctor replies, then all someone needs to do is kill you. And then the 20 million dollars is good as gone. In many places, they would just torture you if they wanted the $20 and weren't satisfied with just stopping you. And I just end this conversation at this point by saying, that's if they knew I had it. I'm sorry you're so dim on all this. Maybe you should drop FinTech from your bio. Maybe the PhD as well, as I've seen undergrads in English who have a better understanding of this stuff than you do. And they do. This man has almost no understanding of how this works. And if you're next in line to be the guy that comes up with the argument of why Bitcoin can't work and how they're going to be able to seize it from me and somehow or another that they they just know that I have it. So therefore, whatever. You're being a fool. You don't understand the technology, and if you actually gave a shit about your reputation and how you come off, you would at least spend a couple of weeks digging into this stuff and learning how it works because everything that this guy says is not only wrong, it's so wrong as to be foolish. And that's going to do it for your daily train wreck for the day. All right, brothers and sisters, that's going to do it for the day. Um, yeah, there's uh, good news and bad news all the way around. It's, I think everybody's tired of the bear market. So people getting pretty salty, people getting pretty, pretty, pretty salty. Um, and it's starting to attract people that know next to nothing about anything that's going on here. So, uh, you know, do do what you can to keep yourself sane. All right. Uh, with that said, um, you guys take care of each other, take care of yourselves, and I'll see you on the inside. This has been Bitcoin and...